Welcome to Ready, Fire, Aim, podcast number one. I am your host, Rusty Schaefer, and with this podcast, my intent is to give you some great insights and stories into entrepreneurship, my journey uh, with inventing the Fretlight guitar over 30 years ago, and what I've learned along the way, uh, business insights, concepts, um, stuff they teach, stuff that I teach as an adjunct professor at the University of Nevada, Reno, um, in entrepreneurship class. And what I've learned, some of the things that have stayed the same, some of the things that have changed. Um, Usually it's just names and titles that have changed, but we'll delve into that. Each one of these podcasts is about 25 minutes. And let's begin at the beginning. Makes sense. So, Rather than just start with when I invented the Fretlight guitar, um, I'd like to just cover in a couple of minutes how it came about that I invented anything. How does it come about that anybody invents anything? I think it's a really interesting journey. I was um, raised in a pretty typical upper middle class family. Um, my dad, after working for many years for United Airlines in the management side of the business, um, decided to go out on his own and ran a, an aviation consulting business. Um, I think I got a lot of that entrepreneurial spirit from him. Um, he never, you know, reflected that something was too hard or couldn't be done. And he always encouraged um, <clears throat> myself and my siblings to to always try, always try. What's the worst that could happen? He would say, "You're going to lose a leg, or you're going to lose an arm, or you're going to lose your life." No, you fail. Big deal. Um, throughout the years, I've learned that many successful and non-successful entrepreneurs have failed. We all go through failure. That's part of the learning process. And while this podcast um, hopefully will give you some insights into your own business or your own journey, um, failure is sort of a given. And maybe not failure, but a mistake. Consider it a mistake. Um, Maybe you made a mistake, didn't anticipate something, didn't foresee something. It happens to all of us. And so anyways, um, I think I got a lot of my roots probably early on. And I actually had an idea right when I was out of college for starting a auto detailing business in San Jose, California. So I went to the University of Connecticut. That's where I got my undergrad graduated in 1986. And um, during my summers working and so forth, I would wash my own car and I would detail it. And so it became second nature and I was really thorough and meticulous about taking care of my car. What kind of car did I have, you ask? It was a Triumph TR7 convertible. Remember those? Oh, it was such a fun car. It was a gutless wonder, though. I think it had 85 horsepower, um, stick shift. It was fun. Once you got it up to speed, it was kind of fun. 
but it wasn't going to dazzle anybody off the line, but it wasn't meant for that. It was a fun summer car um, to go to the beaches in Connecticut, tool around. Um, it was a great car for a college student, but I was pretty meticulous about, about detailing um, the car. And so I started, so I, I remember agonizing over the fact, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? And I'd moved out to California um, and lived with a friend in Cupertino, California after college. And I remember going home um, that Christmas, flying back to my parents were at the time in Massachusetts. And I remember, you know, talking to my dad about this. You know, should I start this? Is this something I can do? And I had all these questions and I didn't know where to begin. And he told me something pretty interesting. He said, you know, the hardest thing to do with anything is start the first step. He said, after you take the first step, you'll, you'll have a second step to do and you'll know that. And then you'll have a third and a fourth and a fifth and it'll start going. But the hardest step for anybody is the first step. And I think that's true. I think that's true whether we decide, you know, on a career change, whether we decide to go to school, to college, to not go to college, where to move, to buy a house, right? All those things in life, um, starting, making the decision, starting something is probably the hardest. Should I start to work out? Should I not work out? Oh my gosh, I'm not looking forward to this. You know what happens. We've all been there, right? Once you start, it's a lot easier to keep going than to than the initial start was. So anyways, I started this auto detailing business. Um, I called it Executive Shine, and I figured out how to file for a business license. I figured out how to how to do all that kind of paperwork and have an official business. And um, at the time, now remember, we're talking 1987, right? So all of you out there that are thinking, well, I'll just Google it. Yeah, there was no Google. There was the Yellow Pages. And the Yellow Pages is where you looked things up. If you're not familiar with what the Yellow Pages are, it was yesteryear's Google. And it was only local. So I had the San Jose Yellow Pages. And that's all I needed, really. Um, there were no websites. And so you probably are asking, well, how did you advertise your business? Um, because what I did is I just, I just advertised it to individuals, drove their cars back to my apartment complex where I did the detailing outside in the sun in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and had fun listening to some music. After a few hours, I finished their car and drove it back to them. So it was pretty interesting. Um, I, with the help of a friend, created some flyers and again, remember, creating a flyer was not easy back then. There were no computers. You had, the typewriter had evolved to the word processor, which wasn't any joy as far as publishing, right? Apple Macintosh really, you know, was on the forefront of self-publishing, mixing pictures with titles and topography and creating a flyer or an ad or a brochure or what have you. So that stuff was all new. So I had a friend who actually had to had to lay out what they called camera-ready art. Um, and then, you know, kind of lay that. He laid it all out. 
as I wanted it. Um, and then I took it down to a copy center and made copies and that's what you did. Um, and so I went around to various parking lots because I was right there in Cupertino. The Apple computer people were right there. They weren't as big as they are today, but, but they employed quite a few employees and they were doing very well economically. So a lot of their employees drove Porsches, BMWs, cars that that those people could afford to pay. I think I charged $149 for detailing at the time, something like that. $149 for, for you know an entire wash, wax, inside out, everything. And it, it was it was quite a, a trip. I remember, you know, my first few phone calls. I had people with Porsches giving me essentially a 25-year-old kid the keys to their Porsche 911 and I would drive it back to my apartment complex a couple miles away and proceed to detail the car like I told you. Um, Really, really, I think back now, um, um, as an attorney, I am an attorney. I got my law degree from Northeastern University in Boston. Many years later, in 2003, I'm a member of the Massachusetts Bar, but I think back and the liability that I was lucky that nothing happened, the liability that I exposed myself to that I didn't even know it, and that that probably was, was how I survived it because I, di- I didn't know about the liability. But, but anyways, um, that, was, that, was, that was really something. And so I got my first taste of of running a business though, of actually figuring out how to, you know, collect payment. And I had the business bank account and I had to buy supplies and it was a really, really interesting journey. It was a very interesting journey in that I think I learned a lot, but I don't think I realized I was learning as I was going through this. Like I didn't set out to, okay, now I know how to do a business license. Now I know how to get a business bank account. I didn't have that on a, on a, on a to-do list. I just, my to-do list was, I got to do this. I got to do this to keep going. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. And I think that's what I ended up with. That experience was that I did all those things and only upon reflection did I really, oh, you know, kind of comment to myself. Oh yeah, I did do that. I do know how to to start that, start a business and what uh, paperwork to file with the city of San Jose. I do know how to, um, file my taxes, um, with the help of an accountant for, for business tax reasons and so forth. And so I, I figured all those things out. Um, and that was a good first taste that, um, that experience ended, um, I actually hired an employee, actually hired a couple of employees at different times. One, um, basically stole some money from me. So that was an experience. And the other one, um, watched or actually kind of helped me with the business and helped learn. And that was an experience with paying an employee and doing all those things. And he was a pretty good, pretty good young kid. And I, you know, again, I wasn't much older, but um, I wanted to move on. It was time to move on. The I didn't, I don't think I knew how to grow the business. I didn't know, um, 
I, I didn't know how to put a lot of the marketing things in place that of course I understand now many years later, but I didn't know how to do that then. And I think I got impatient with the business and um, I ran into another guy that actually had a sort of a mobile car washing business and I sold the business to him. I sold him my customer list. I can't even remember how many customers I had, a few hundred, a few, probably that's out, that, would, that would have been it. And I sold him um, the names. And again, there were no email addresses, right? So it was names and phone numbers. And I forget what he even paid me. And it was enough to, I don't know, not not much. It really wasn't much. Maybe, maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollars. And that was it. I was done. I was done. The last thing I learned from that business was how to close a business, how to at least get the business out of my name and, and all that, those legal documents. But that was it. Um, I had, I, I was also at the time that I was running executive shine, you know, of course I was only doing maybe one car a day, one car every other day. I was a flight instructor. So I graduated from Connecticut, um, with a bachelor's, um, in mechanical engineering and economics, a dual degree. But I, I, you know, I, I, I just, I really didn't want to go work in an office. I didn't want to do that. And so I had this little taste of this entrepreneur sort of venture journey. And <clears throat> I remember, I think at the time, kind of needing to get a little bit more serious with, with money. Um, I wanted more things. I, 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 I had discovered credit cards <laughs> back then they weren't as easy to come by and limits were a lot lower but um, CDs had just come out and so all my entire record collection needed to be I needed to buy CDs which was kind of dumb if I think about it now but anyways that's what I needed to do and so in order to do that I needed to get a real job and so while I was flight instructing and again I was flight instructing I had a couple of students it wasn't you know, eight hours a day, it was a couple hours a day, I had to go get a real job. And I ended up working at United Technologies in South San Jose. And um, I should tell you that back in college, um, I had learned to play guitar, or I played guitar at Connecticut. I learned to play guitar at the Air Force Academy Prep School, which is where I went after high school. Um... And, and, and I had a friend show me how to, how to play a couple of chords. And I started that journey. And, and I, I should also say what's really interesting about <clears throat> the way I do things in life, me in particular, and this goes to the title of this podcast, Ready, Fire, Aim. I seem to just jump in and go. So instead of ready, aim, fire, which is what, I might recommend and what most people do, I tend to jump in and do it. I, and again, that's from that parental guidance that said, hey, you can do this. Oh, you want to be an astronaut? Go for it. You want to be a dentist? Go for it. And, and I would do that. I'd jump in and I'd, I'd just see, I'd, I'd see how far I could go. I think, I think what I, by jumping in, it was a good way for me to measure sort of how... 
you know, where I was in that process. Was I, was I, was I super good? Was I really bad? Was I medium good? Where was I at, at, at this skill that I was trying to do? And so I had, I had learned to play guitar at the Air Force Academy in Colorado. And then I remember coming home at the time my parents lived in Connecticut and I was sort of picking up the pieces, trying to figure out what college to go to. And I went to a, I went to a, a college, an interim college, uh, four year. It was a four year, but it was a small college, like a junior college, called Sacred Heart University in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, and I just started taking core classes because I didn't, I just didn't know what I wanted after I left the academy. Um, I, you, you know, I was a pilot at age sixteen. And I had soloed. I was the youngest pilot in the nation on December 12th, 1978. I soloed an airplane at age 16. And I was going to do the Top Gun thing before there was Top Gun, before Tom Cruise knew what Top Gun was. I was going to do it for real. And so I got a nomination to the Air Force Academy from high school, and um, or I should say the prep school. My grades were just a little lacking to go directly to the Air Force Academy. So they have a prep school. All the, all the academies have this. You go there and you beef up your SAT scores and your grades, and then you get a nomination to the academy. So I had secured my nomination after my year at the prep school, but they wouldn't pilot qualify me because of allergies. Hay fever, good old-fashioned allergies and I had I had had allergies as a kid as a kid I thought I had outgrown them as I got older through high school but it wasn't good enough for the Air Force and so it was a real 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 hard decision to leave the academy that's a million back then it was a million dollar education today it's probably a five million dollar education um, but I couldn't I couldn't go fly a desk and watch all all these people that I had will have, would have gone through the Air Force Academy with fly, knowing that I was a pilot before they even you know sat in a cockpit. So it was a real hard decision to make, and I I second guess it to this day sometimes, but that's what it was. And so when I came back to Connecticut, um, needless to say, my parents were pretty disappointed. Um, I think they, they had been enlisted in the Air Force. Um, and I think having a son as an officer, certainly uh, going to the Air Force Academy would have been you know, a huge feather in their cap. And so that was a big disappointment for them. And while I was struggling with that, struggling with where was I gonna, what was I going to do in my life, I had learned to play guitar and I kind of gravitated toward it. And I, I, I love music. I mean, I grew up in the you know 70s and 80s and music was amazing um and and loved music and you know always thought gosh you know it was really be cool to play guitar um i i think i original uh, initially thought it'd be cool to play guitar because those guys got girls and they they had fame and they had success but i realized once i started the journey of actually playing guitar that it's a real emotional thing it it um you you either you either are tied to it or you're not. It's probably like painting. Those those people that paint, there's an emotional connection for them. Those people that write as writers, there's an emotional connection with writing for the for them. For me, it was music. Mu- it was it was music. It was eventually producing music. 
um, and, and, and writing music and doing all that. And, and it was fantastic. I, I absolutely felt a connection to the guitar. So here I come home from the Air Force Academy and, you know, my parents, you know, and remember I have a crew cut, right? I have a crew cut coming back from the Air Force Academy and my parents, you know, I come back with this guitar and I, I, I quit the, the Academy and now I'm trying to pick up the pieces and I'm playing guitar out on the front porch step trying to learn from these made easy guitar books i'm trying to learn america crosby stills and nash i'm trying to learn fleetwood mac i'm trying to learn james taylor all of this acoustic stuff right that didn't require an amplifier so you know my parents immediately go oh you're a hippie oh my god you know I mean that you know they 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 kind of were deathly afraid of woodstock and the beatles and all of that and 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 i mean though they Though they enjoyed music and they exposed me to music, um, their their music like they, they kind of listen to country music, but but they really just went overboard. They just I think they were really disappointed. But anyways, so I was dealing with all of that. I pick up the pieces. I go to Connecticut eventually as a sophomore, um, and I keep up my guitar playing. Um, I played football on the Division One AA team in nineteen eighty three. Three was it, or maybe eighty four? Would have been eighty four. Um, and again, it was another ready fire aim. I played football in high school. I didn't play all four years. I knew friends that were playing in college. I just wanted to prove to myself that I could play, that I could make the team as a walk on and play. And so there we go. I, I started training. I jumped in, and I did it, and it was really great. But. I kept playing guitar in college as well. And I was doing what they called open mic nights, open mic nights at sort of coffee, what they would call back then or call now coffee houses um, or, 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 you know, kind of bars, right? The bars um, right off campus that, you know, they had, they, they had open mic nights for all the students. So you'd get up there, you'd play three songs, whether it was, you know, you sing and play acoustic or, you know, you're playing, keyboards or do you have a little band or what have you and it was fun you know as 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 students that's where we all went and so I started I I I got brave enough to do that and you know again I jumped right in I just I had kept my guitar playing going through the year before I went to Connecticut when I was home and I kept going and learning my chords and playing guitar and learning technique and I kept going and going and going And I get to college and I start in the dorms. I start to meet a couple other friends who sing and play guitar. And before you know it, I'm playing these open mic nights. So I'm playing guitar all during that time. Um, And and remember, you know, I'm playing guitar during that time. In the summers now of college, besides working, um, I'm able to continue my flying, my ratings, private, uh, uh, you know, as a private citizen, right? So I got my instrument rating, my commercial rating, my flight instructor's rating. I still loved flying, but now I loved guitar playing as well. And so I kept doing all these things. And when I graduated Connecticut uh, in 1986, I moved back out to California, as I said. And now I've got, I've got sort of this entrepreneurial spirit. I've got guitar playing. I've am now was hired as a flight instructor at the old um, um, flight school that I taught at. And I'm 
kind of going through life, you know, I started the executive shine company. I got that experience under my belt. Um, I went and, you know, had to get a real job, as I said, at United Technologies in South San Jose. I've got that going. I'm playing guitar. I'm doing all, I'm flying on the weekends and at night. I'm doing all these things. And, and again, you know, ready, fire, aim. Just, I'm just doing it. I'm doing everything that blows my way. I'm, I'm doing it. And so then, then I think it's the seminal moment in my life was, um, as I kept doing and playing out now in bars around San Jose and I was getting paid for it. I was playing, you know, a lot of guitar and, and, and basically the front man singing. I, I asked a friend of mine who was in my band, who was the lead guitar player or a, or a, certainly a better guitar player than me. How do you play lead guitar? So I was strumming chords and singing, right? Kind of campfire-ish stuff. A couple of notes here and there, but there were a lot of songs that were, you know, in the 70s and 80s that you could play um, that you just, you kind of strum to. Now it started to get to where I wanted to get a little bit better and I wanted to do some more things with guitar in it. And it called for understanding how to play solos or, or, or even, you know, little kind of five note riffs and understanding how to do that. And I really had stayed away from that because I was perfecting my singing and chord and chord playing and my strumming. And so now I wanted to do that. And I think the year was probably, I got to think for a second. It was probably 1990, uh, no, uh, uh, 88. It's probably 1988. So I was out of college for a couple of years, year and a half. And I asked a friend of mine, Hey, how, you know, how can I get better at solo or lead guitar playing and he opened a book it's called a scale book right so there's chords and scales he opened a scale book and remember what a scale is in music a scale is on the piano right do re mi fa so right all just all the way up that's a that happens that's a scale that's an example of a scale and so he showed me this book that had all these dots on you know a fretboard representation on the paper and he said see all these dots so this is you know a scale i think he was pointing at the major scale or what minor pentatonic whatever whatever scale he was showing me he said you have to memorize all these you have to and i said really he said yeah so while the while the rhythm player is playing guitar you know you would use any any one of these notes or combination of these notes and you'll sound good playing over that rhythm and I said, okay. And so I borrowed the book. I re- I'll never forget. I'll never forget this. I was sitting in my apartment in San Jose, California, right off Stevens Creek Boulevard, for those of you that live in the Bay Area. And I was, I cracked open this book, I had my guitar, and I figured, ready, fire, aim. Here we go. I'll learn this in 20 minutes, and Eric Clapton, watch out. Or kind of close to that. And I started the process of memorization. Now you can imagine, right? You've got your book on a table or, or in front of you somewhere and your guitar in your hand and you're going, you look at the book, you look at your fretboard, you look at your book, you look at your fretboard and try to play some of those notes or, 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 or try to play that 
the pattern of because you know the the scale was broken into patterns right remember the the frets go along the guitar right uh, along the fretboard and there so there's 21 or 22 frets on a normal guitar and you can see kind of patterns right every four frets or so they're called box patterns so I'd start to memorize these, and some books would, you know, kind of put a, squ- a square over the over the box pattern, so you could, you know, so you could focus on these patterns, and it didn't look so daunting to have to memorize, you know, a hundred plus notes all at one time. So I started doing this, and I started doing what in the industry is called the head bob. I started; my head was bobbing back and forth between the book and the guitar, the book, the guitar, the book, the guitar, the. Bo- hundreds of times. I mean, I cannot tell you of all the guitar players in the world, how many times they've looked back and forth between a book. Maybe now it's YouTube, but it's YouTube, your guitar, YouTube and your guitar. So it, you know, it's amazing, right? Well, you're talking to Mr. Ready, Fire, Aim. Now remember, Ready, Fire, Aim, there's some impatience in there. I was kind of an impatient person. Everything I've done in life was Ready, Fire, Aim, and it kind of worked out. And it fit with my level of attention and impatience. And so after about, it's probably 45 seconds, 45 seconds to a minute of head bobbing 15, 20 times, I looked at at the guitar and I just, and I kind of stopped what I was doing. And I I said to myself, I think I might've even said it out loud. I said, this is stupid. This is, this is ridiculous. This is going to take me, you know, years. Well, no kidding. The best guitar players, it does take years. But I was impatient. Ready, fire, aim. And so I look, I said to myself, this is ridiculous. This is, this is, this, you know, why doesn't somebody just put these dots that are here on this paper, right? Why don't they just put that on my, the neck of my guitar so that I can play while I'm learning? kind of like the letters on your computer keyboard. Right? I mean look 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 down if you're if you're, you know, if you, if you're in front of your computer right now, right? We all we all look at those. You know, we still we still look at those letters from time to time while we're typing, right? Well, why do you think they did that? Why do you think they still have letters on a keyboard? Because they don't expect people to memorize these. They don't expect people to be perfect. And guess what else? And I didn't realize this at the time, but I do now today in 2019, that they put those to make it easy for people to use their product. Think about that. Think about that. Using a computer these days is very ubiquitous with brushing your teeth, right? My kids use it for schoolwork. I mean, I use Every day I use a computer, every day. Even if I'm on my phone, right, we're typing text. Well, what do we push? We push the T, the H, the E. We push those, we don't, we, we don't, we aren't forced to memorize. But what did the guitar industry do? The guitar industry said, no, 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 we're not gonna make it easy. Not because we don't want you to play, but because it wasn't easy for us. It wasn't easy for us that came before you, kid. We paid our dues, right? We spent hours and weeks and months learning scales and learning chord patterns. And I'll be 
damned if I'm going to make it easy for you. Why would I do that? I spent years. And, and when I say I, right, I'm, I'm representing the industry because most of the people that are in the industry are players. So the retail store owners, the, the people that are running Fender and Gibson and Paul Reed Smith, all these guys played. They all went through it. But you know what they do? They forget. They absolutely forget when they were young and they were struggling. And so guitar became, it was okay back in the 70s. You know, what, what, what else was there to do? Play Pong? That yeah, wasn't that exciting. There was, you know, you could paint. You could, you, could, you could go running. I mean, there wasn't like all these hobbies that we have today or distractions like the, the iPhone and the internet. Um, um, streaming TV, smart TV, direct TV, all of this stuff, right? Thousands of channels. And so... So it was okay to take a book out under the oak tree and spend three or four hours. That's what you did. You did the same for your other hobbies, though. That's what you did. You did the same for your other hobbies. And so, so when it came time to trying to do one of these hobbies, nobody thought twice about spending that kind of time. So that's when the light bulb went off in my head that this was ridiculous. I could learn so much faster if I had those dots on my fretboard so that I could press, I could see where the note was, what fret my finger had to be on, but I could play it at the same time. My head wouldn't be bobbing back and forth. And that was the invention right there of the fret-like guitar. So I want to conclude podcast number one with saying thanks. I know I jumped around a bit. I'm trying to give you some insight as to who I am and to, to how, did this, how did this guy go from being just an ordinary person to an entrepreneur. Um, and we'll pick it up next time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do a couple of these podcasts a week. So be looking for podcast number two and we'll pick it up from um, from the invention of the fretlight guitar in 1988 is when it, that's that's when I that's when it was invented. So thanks very much for listening. Have a great day. Um, remember, you can do it. You can do it. Maybe not ready fire aim. Maybe you want to go ready aim fire, but you can do it. Thanks. We'll see you next time. <laughs>